0: publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the outbreak of avian flu in southern Indiana. And if you want to uh, join our discussion, you can call us at 812 855 or toll free 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can tweet us at Noon Edition. And if you do join the program, you'll be talking with uh, Sarah and I and our three guests today, Luis Santiago, the Purdue Extension Educator for Davies County is here in the studio with us. And joining us by phone are Denise Durer, uh, who is the Indiana State Board of Animal Health uh, spokesperson and Samantha Horton, a reporter who's covering Dubois County for WNIN. So uh, we're glad to have all of you with us today. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank so you. Samantha, I'm gonna let you as a reporter who's in the trenches covering this issue to to sort of uh, set the stage, sort of frame this issue for us. So, what what's happened since you know in the last week in, involving uh, this avian influenza?
1: Well, we first got word of it last Friday, so it's been about a week since we, the word got out about the outbreak. And I went up over the weekend, and it's just that uncertainty you've seen—people just not sure of what's going to happen. And you, there was nine more flocks that were effect, that were tested. And that were listed as affected, so there's that fear for farmers still that their flocks might have to be killed still
0: okay so um, Denise what is avian influenza
2: well basically their avian influenza is' it's a type A flu and it's commonly known as bird flu but it occurs naturally in birds uh, there's lots and lots of different types of flu different strains of it and we all hear about that um, in with, by, by names of H-something, N-something, and those all indicate the different t- strains. And so this is just a type of flu that is particularly um, harmful to birds. Mm-hmm. And it, it occurs naturally in wild bird species, but it can also cross over into domestic birds like chickens, ducks, um, guineas, uh, and like those that cause very, very severe illness or even death.
0: So how does this uh, outbreak compare to others we've had in Indiana in the past?
2: Well, I can tell you this is unprecedented. Um, With anything that we've had, certainly in the poultry industry, we've never experienced something like this, and and the level of response that that it's justified.
0: Okay, and Luis, I'll bring you in as a a Purdue Extension agent. I mean, you deal with a lot of issues involving, uh, you know, farmers and animals. I mean, when, when you think about this particular issue, you know what? How important is it on on the you know your scale in terms of, of you know tragic incidents happening on farms and and whatnot?
3: Well, for us, um, we uh, we seen that on the local farmers is something that they take on the personal, you know, very personal. They they work with these animals every day. Uh, they follow all the the rules that they have through the companies to make sure that safeguard the the health and the safety of these birds. And when something like this happen, it's just, it's kind of overwhelming and and very heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And in our effort as uh, Purdue Extension, we just try to uh, be, uh, play an educational role in this uh, over the years with the uh, outbreak that we have last year in in the nation, we uh, helped uh, to pass the information, uh, scientific-based information to the public, uh, so in that way we can uh, have them uh, link them, all the information that they need and we pass the information from BOA and also we have some informational package for the 4-H family that they have small backyard uh, mm-hmm. flogs. Uh, so basically, it's just uh, a way of educate the public on on this information that is being passed along.
4: So, when you find out that there is a is a bird that's showing symptoms of this, what's the process then that that starts? What what actions are immediately taken? I guess.
3: Well, uh, basically, our education. What we try to do, we encourage the people that if they see some of these animals that are sick. Uh, either they try to contact their local veterinarian or uh, they can contact uh, the board of animal health di- directly. So in that way, they can uh, follow the protocols that they need to do to confirm if they actually they are infected with any kind of outbreak disease.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. yes we, we actually have a healthy birds hotline that for folks who may have uh, birds in their own backyard or they own um, for their own personal use, and pleasure that um, we encourage folks to call that because we'll have a veterinarian um, actually talk to talk to them, uh, find out what's going on with their birds and make an assessment kind of over the phone and decide if it needs additional follow up testing. And then if it does, that testing is provided at no charge um, by the state.
0: So how how was this how was this found? I mean, what what were the symptoms that this bird? I guess the first bird had and and how you know can you sort of outline how this thing played out?
2: Well, just to start with, this is actually found on a a commercial turkey operation that had a little over 60,000 turkeys on it, on the the site. Um, The producers pay very, very close attention, I think Louise could speak to that too, um, to what, uh, just the health of the birds and how they're behaving day to day. And the producer actually noticed that the water consumption by these birds was lower than normal. Um, So they're paying attention at that level, that they weren't drinking quite as much as normal um, they had a few extra birds that were uh, dead than they would expect um, for birds of that size. And then the next day when the grower came into the barn, there was a significant death loss in there. Um, several hundred birds had died overnight. And that is a big red flag right there. They contacted their veterinarian who came out and took some test samples. And then those were transported right away to the diagnostic lab at Purdue University where they were run. And we came back with a preliminary positive test. Um, And then those tests get confirmed through the USDA laboratory in Ames, Iowa, and that's what sets us on the path that we're on now because they confirmed it.
4: And as you were talking about some of the different strains of this flu virus, I mean, is this one, does it spread more rapidly than some of the others? And just as, as you're talking about it, it seems like that all happened relatively quickly.
2: But that did happen quickly, and, and there's a lot to be learned. This one is, uh, is a highly pathogenic H7N8. Um, and again, we hear all these H's and N's, and those just are representative of the type of proteins that cover that flu virus cell itself. So, um, in in those different strains, they can react differently in different species, and even within the sector of poultry, this seems to. Um, sickened turkeys more than other species of poultry like ducks or geese or something so um, basically we don't we don't know a lot about that this is the first time in the united states that we've had a highly pathogenic version of h7n8 so this so we've got a lot to learn here and we're trying to make sure that we capture as much knowledge about this while we're going through this process as we possibly can
0: so, Samantha Horton is a reporter who's been covering this uh, issue. Samantha, you know, as a reporter, I know that you have to get up to speed really quickly um, on a topic like this. So, I mean, what are what are a few of the key points that you've found out that you've tried to make sure that, you know, your listeners know about um, this story that you're covering?
1: Well, I really wanted to make sure to cover, and that was why I went up there, was to talk with some of these farmers. And the thing is, is people will scrutinize, well, how well are these commercial farms maintained and kept? And the thing is, these farmers are abiding by everything that they need to. They're following, following protocol. And even there was after last year's outbreak, they have made sure even more to make sure that everything's okay. So these farmers aren't bad. And so I think that was something that you really want to get an understanding of is fully what – they do to try to ensure these things don't happen. So when they do, it's a really big deal.
0: We should say when when you say you're you're you you had to go up there. You you're based in Evansville. WNIN is in Evansville, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So you've got, gone up to, to Jasper and to Dubois County to to follow this. Um, the the issue. I know a lot of people out there wonder. You know, can can I catch it? You know, is this something that can be transmitted to human beings? Uh, I'm, i don't believe it can can it? could you uh Luis, can you talk about that first
3: well um I think it's uh, very uncommon but i mean it could be likely we we don't know for sure uh they haven't been reported any cases at this point uh, the health department have been monitoring all the workers and the people working on this situation to make sure that they are, they haven't had any symptoms and so far we haven't uh, reported any case of People getting infected with, with this disease. Okay.
0: And Denise, what, what does the uh, Indiana Board of Animal Health have to say about this?
2: Well, first of all, we want to make sure people know this is not a food safety issue and mm-hmm. your poultry and your egg products are safe to eat and make sure they know that. But um, right now, there's still a lot to learn about this virus. And um, to our knowledge, and we've checked with the Centers for Disease Control and the Indiana State Health Department and There are no known cases of H7N8 infection in in humans, so um, we're hoping that stays the same. And like Louise said, the local health department's monitoring everybody who's had contact with birds just to make sure that that doesn't change. And again, we're trying to gather as much information as we can about this and make sure that um, we know as much as we can about this virus.
4: And we've been reporting the number, I think 400,000 birds have been depopulated, but I think it's important to 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 clarify, not all of those birds were tested. Not all of them had the had the flu. Is that is that correct? Can you yeah? Can you explain like how, why why that number? Why so many birds were, were euthanized here?
2: Correct. We we found H seven N eight virus on ten farms. They were all commercial turkeys. Um, and once you find it in a flock like that, really the only thing that the producer can do is, is to depopulate the whole, um, all the birds on that site. Um, because there's a, there's a risk that they will continue to get sick, the birds will just get ill. There is no vaccine um, available that they can use for this. Um, so that's, that's kind of their only option that they have. There is a risk that the, vi- the virus could spread outside of that farm or those, you know, those 10 farms to others in the area. And um, it would continue to multiply and just get worse and worse and um, be more deadly to even more birds. So it's not the best option, and we're always regretful for when we have to take life like that. But um, for the bigger picture, that's just what's necessary. Um, We did have another flock that was not infected, and it tested negative, and it was a laying hens. There were about 156,000 chickens in there but they were considered a dangerous contact they were within just a matter of a few yards from an infected turkey um, barn so they were very there was a high likelihood that they could have been exposed to the virus and so that decision was made to go ahead and depopulate them as well.
4: Well, Lucy you're in in Davies County but even if, if you're a farmer in Davies County I mean you've spent a lot of time down there and what's going through these farmers heads right now?
3: Well, it's just uh, uncertainty. I mean, uh, you have uh, all the worries that what is that next person could be me. So every day that they had to go and they, they go to their barns and check their barns just to make sure that uh, their birds are in good health and everything is working the way it is and making sure that at this point that they're, they're following all the protocols for biosecurity, even though that that is something that had been... Uh, Followed by the industry for quite a few times well. I mean for a lot of years, but and this situation right now They are stepping up the 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 steps to make sure that they don't Get anything and try to be as tight as possible in in terms of biosecurity on their farm to to don't catch that
0: So we're uh, talking about the avian flu outbreak in southern, Indiana uh, in, in Dubois County it's been been uh, limited to Dubois County at this time. If you have uh, questions or comments, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon So I want to make, make sure that I understand this. I mean, it's in Dubois County. Um, Ten different farms have been Um, it's affected 10 different farms. So how does it move from one farm to another? You were talking about, Denise, you were talking about, I think it was you were talking about the chickens and how there was one flock, 100 and some thousand chickens that weren't very far away from a contaminated flock, but there was no problem there. So how does this travel from farm to farm?
2: Well, in this particular incident, we don't know yet, and quite frankly, we don't know if we ever will for sure, but um, we do know there are ways this virus can move, and um, one of the most common ways is the, the H7 viruses are uh, occur naturally in wild migratory uh, waterfowl, you know, like ducks, geese, those type of birds, and, you know, they will actually spread the virus in um, their in mucus or their saliva secretions and in their droppings and so mm-hmm. you can imagine if you've got birds migrating across the country um, and they're stopping place to place and they can leave a little bit of virus behind when they're um, with their droppings of their feces so that's always a perpetual problem because you know you can't really control populations like that um, that does put people at risk and that's why what Luis is talking about biosecurity on the farms is so so important because you can imagine if a worker walked through some goose droppings or something and then walked into a barn and could leave that behind on his shoes, that that would expose the, the turkeys in the barn um, to this virus. And so that's why they take a lot of care to you know clean their boots, disinfect them, make sure that they're not um, tracking that in and out. You could, likewise, it could happen. You can move it from one farm to the other through a person or farm equipment vehicle traffic um, you can be like a mechanical vector so it's really important that all these things get looked at and what exactly happened here and how this happened we don't know yet that we've we're working we've got some scientists coming in to help us with that process and see if we can learn anything from this and hopefully we can um, go forward and prevent it in the future
4: so we know there's a command center set up down there. What kind of response has there been in terms of resources from out of state and just some of the best minds, it seems, working on this problem?
2: We have had a huge uh, amount of resources uh, deployed on this. Um, the State Board of Animal Health, uh, that's us, we are the lead agency on this. And we've been preparing for something like this, and unfortunately it's happened now, and working with our partners at the Indiana State or the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. They're providing a lot of logistical support. They've um, deployed their folks down there to that site in in Jasper, um, and they're helping us with all the logistics stuff, like getting in cleaning and disinfection equipment and crews who can help and teams, um, everything down to porta-potties and running water and all of that type of thing. So um, big, big presence there. Um, USDA has um, teams that they send in uh, to help um, with, these type of things that go on we've seen this happen before in other events in other states we just haven't experienced it here before in indiana Um, as of last night they would sent some crews home but we have 421 folks down in uh, dubois county right now responding to this between the state the federal and then i also have a lot of local support which i can't even speak enough to the great support we've had from local fire departments the county commissioners the local health department Um, all those those folks have just Turned out
0: in droves to help with this uh, this response. So uh, you called it unprecedented before, and so I'm going to ask uh, you, uh, Denise and Samantha, because you're you're covering this big story as well. Uh, I don't know if this is a question necessarily, but this is I have a. a, a um, I guess it's a news release, that, uh, an FAQ from this Indiana State Department of Health that says that this is the first time the H7N8 viruses have been found in birds in the United States. So, as well as being unprecedented for the state of Indiana, I mean, Indiana is the focal point of this. Correct?
2: This is the only high pathogenic flu event happening right now in the in the country. Yes.
0: Okay. And so that's um, one of the reasons why all these people are are coming to Indiana to to help stop this. Uh, you know, it sounds like from the way you described it that it's almost a miracle that we don't have more of this. When you talk about you know bird droppings from you know a duck that might have been infected, yeah. uh, it it seems like you know. Luis is talking about how how you know, disinfecting the the farms is is difficult. I mean, this this is a, a Various serious um, issue when it occurs, and, and the idea of keeping it from spreading further does take a lot of people. It's not really the, in the form of a question, but I'd like some some feedback to that.
2: Well, we, right now we're we're very very thankful. Of course, we watched what played out last uh, spring and summer in uh, the Upper Midwest, primarily Minnesota and Iowa, took a heavy heavy hit last year with avian flu. It was a different strain. It was not It was an H5 and not an H7. Um, but we saw a lot of impact up there, and that's uh, a lot of folks probably remember, you know, your egg prices going up in the stores and that type of thing because um, there are actually 219 sites were infected. We're talking about 10 right now, um, but, you know, in 16 different states, and there was a loss of about 48 million birds. So we're trying to get a handle on this and get ahead of it so that we don't end up with a situation like that. So that's why it's been so important to get a a heavy and aggressive response quickly and just try to contain
1: this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's something, oh, sorry.
0: No, go ahead, please.
1: uh, Going off what Denise just mentioned, that's what a lot of local farmers, from when I've talked to some of them, have felt because they've appreciated the rapid response and the fact that we are fortunate that it was only one location right now that has had this show up. So the rapid response, I think, has made a difference so far. And I mean, we'll, time will only tell, but right now it's looking better than it did seven days ago. Mm-hmm.
4: Can we talk about the economics and all of this? Indiana is one of the largest poultry-producing states. So for the consumer, what does this mean for the price of poultry, the price of eggs, and then also just these farms?
3: Well, um, yeah, as part of... Uh turkey producer Indiana is probably the third uh, turkey producer in the nation Uh, Dubois County is actually the first uh, ranked the first turkey producer in Indiana followed by uh, Davis County and Martin County so uh, at the level at the national level it probably is not going to affect as much based on the information from our ag economist Uh, they run some different simulation, this information is already uh, being, all the trading partners uh, throughout the world have been informed about this, and some of them already have taken some action, going from maybe just making ban restriction from the, just from the control area to other maybe banning for the whole state of Indiana, and and other going to the stream way to ban all uh, the national level. But uh, given the amount compared with all the bans that were done last year uh, with the other uh, AI outbreak, uh, basically after running some simulations, the uh, the economists say that it's going to be very, very minimal, probably talking about 1% either increase or decrease on prices either on the eggs or whole turkey or the chicken meat, Uh, the most... The major impact is gonna be at the local level, mm-hmm. with the, especially with the farmers. Uh, we think that uh, with all the losses in Turkey it's about 17% of the popul- uh, production in uh, Dubois County, but maybe the industry is gonna be able to recover a little bit uh, quicker compared with the producer that, I mean, they have the loss of the birds at this point, but they're also gonna have the loss of income based on how long they're going to be out of production.
0: I want to uh, go back to Samantha after we take a short break, but we, we've hit our halftime of the program, so we're going to have to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about this local economic impact and some other issues involving the avian influenza outbreak in Dubois County. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And we're talking about the avian flu outbreak, the avian influenza outbreak in Dubois County in southern Indiana. We have three guests. Luis Santiago, a Purdue Extension educator from Davies County, is here in the studio with us. And joining us by phone is reporter Samantha Horton from WNIN in Evansville. She's been in Dubois County uh, years. Covering the story, and Denise DeRare, who is an Indiana Board of Animal Health spokesman and spokesperson, is also with us. So if you want to join the program, give us a call at 812 855 811 here in Bloomington or 1 877 285 9348 outside of the local area. You can also join a live chat at wfiuorg noonedition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noonedition. So, Samantha, what about the local economic impact there in Du Bois County?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad we brought that up because one of the big things is it is going to affect the farmers first off. And these people usually have contracts. Most of them in the area have contracts with the two main producers, Farbus Foods and Purdue Poultry. So those are the two that really, they have a contract. So they are producing this for that, but they're still going to lose like, hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, from this, because you think of the investments they make in these birds that have to then be euthanized. And then on top of that whole thing, you realize then how close the community is because you have the electric companies that go and wire the barns. They can't go out there and do their job right now. You have the local stores who can't. They're not getting as much business because, one, people might not have as much money to go, and also, they're taking care of their birds right now. So there's, it's going to affect the whole community, and that's the thing that I think really needs to be watched.
0: Mm-hmm. So Samantha, from your from your experience of being there, um, you know, is there a uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a hysteria or a fear about what's going on in the county? I mean, how how is this news story being being uh, sort of received?
1: I think the thing is, is For most of them, since they're such a tight-knit community, Mm -hmm. most of them talk to each other on the phone daily. Most of the turkey farmers are either family or very close friends. And so there's a lot of that. So I think while the news might be covering it and they might hear from the news, they're going to take their sources first from what the community is saying. So I don't know how much the news is really truly influencing that as much because of such a close contact with each other.
0: Gotcha okay now this might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of our listeners to hear but i just want to talk about the the idea you know it's really hard to talk about you know killing living beings i mean the just the terms that we use depopulating and euthanizing and whatnot um it's a i'm sure it's a very difficult task um very hard on the people who are involved in it but then what about just the disposal of four hundred thousand? birds that have to be um, depopulated to use the the term that the state's using um denise what what happens
2: well um we've had we've got two things going on as far as disposal goes the uh hens the layers the 156,000 birds there They're being disposed of in, well, they're already, it's already done, uh, in a landfill. And um, basically that's approved method for disposal in Indiana. We do have laws that govern the disposal of livestock and poultry that are dead. Um, And burial is an accepted practice. Um, It's being done at uh, a landfill where it is covered and it's managed. And just to keep people, just to remind them, these are not infected birds. They're just considered a dangerous contact. And so they were at risk and that's why that happened um, most of the, the for the ra- remainder um, most of what we're impacting in the turkeys they're actually being composted in barn which means the facilities where they were being raised um, they hadn't left there they, they were actually um, compost piles were being built and those are going to be managed um, there so that they produce enough heat and they will be turned and mixed so that heat goes throughout and that will actually kill the virus and we're really um, glad to do it that way because it's the most cost-effective and it's the most environmentally uh, friendly way to do that because what's left, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with compost piles in our own backyards and you know, recycling, um, basically, the, what we have here and then it, it can be a usable agricultural product um, when it's done.
4: Mm-hmm. How long does, uh, you had talked about the response earlier, but how long are these folks going to be on the ground and helping in this effort?
2: Well, we're kind of having a shift right now um, because we, we everything was pretty intense the first few days while we were trying to get the depopulation activities done. Um, we had some challenges because of the weather um, wasn't cooperating with us. And um, then since that was completed on Wednesday afternoon, we're a couple days past that. Um, and th- and this is another message for folks locally. We still have a lot of work to do in the area. Um, a lot of the uh, crews that we're working on, that part will be leaving and we will have ongoing presence because we have to keep testing these birds whether they're backyard flocks um, that we've identified and folks, you know, privately owned birds or the commercial um, operations all of them within a 20 kilometer which is 12.4 miles outside of where that first case was identified so we have a really big circle um, most of it is in Bois County but it cuts across a couple county lines and we're basically uh, testing all the poultry there, just to make sure that we found any presence of this virus, um, because we just don't want to leave any stone unturned and um, have any risk of this thing flaring back up again.
0: Mm-hmm. And Luis, that must uh, again that we've touched on this, but that's part of, wh- of your role and and what you have to worry about.
3: Yeah, uh, right now what we've been trying to do is just try to address some of the local concerns about the situation. Uh, like I've been mentioning before, just try to uh, emphasize that this is not a safety, uh, a food safety issue. Uh, Other part that we have done uh, with our 4-H families that we've been passing some information package from the Indiana State Poultry Association. Uh, Also, there's a lot of uh, big... uh, the. The big farms are pretty much identified by by uh the state, but we have a lot of probably small backyard flocks that they are not identified, so passing this information we're u- in trying to encourage the the public to if they have some small uh backyard flocks in their houses there's some uh information that they can get and some even some free kit from the Indiana state Poultry Association so they can try to test their their flocks. To make sure that they're free uh, uh, free of disease, and at the same time, just help identify those for future future events, so mm-hmm. that way they know what to do in case they find uh, some disease on their farms, and they're able to pass the information quicker. Mm-hmm.
4: So, if you're one of these farms that's been impacted by this or you've had to, you know, euthanize your entire flock, how do you start over, and and when?
3: Well. I don't know as far as the way it all depends. Uh, right now, like uh, Denise mentioned, they're still doing all the testing on those those uh, birds that are still alive and they're being identified even though they were negative. But the uh, composting uh, process take about 30 days to complete. After that, they need to clean the barns, they need to disinfect the barns, and they still need to monitor in the area to make sure that everything is disease free before they're able to re- repopulate those those farms, so it just depends what the uh, the people doing the testing they find and'm very and denise can uh, elaborate a little bit more on that mm-hmm. denise yeah.
2: well and and the the main thing is is we're gonna have to establish <coughs> that this whole area is free of flu virus in those birds. And that's really important because um, a lot of the, this response and the protocol um, that we have to follow that for that 6.2-mile control area is based on international trade agreements that we have. Indiana is a big, big exporter of poultry products, all kinds, not just turkey, but all kinds of poultry products that go worldwide. And our trading partners want to know that the products they're getting, even though it's not a food safety issue, they still want to make sure that there isn't any chance of, of them having any kind of uh, virus present. So they impose some requirements uh, about disease free and that type of thing. So we're going to have to basically do enough testing and have enough time pass and um, basically prove what we're doing and the biosecurity measures that have happened on those infected sites to prove them that we've got this thing kicked, and then we can start moving product again.
0: You mentioned a a 6.2 mile boundary? What?
2: That's We've established a 6.2 mile or 10 kilometer, Uh same distance, control area uh, around the first site that we found that was the high path site, and that's based on international trade agreements. And this is the same thing that would happen in another country um, if they were to have a similar event.
0: Okay. We're talking about the avian flu outbreak in southern Indiana, uh, primarily in Dubois County. If you want to join our program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Uh, Samantha, I know that you're gonna have to go in about five, six minutes. So uh, I wanna give you the opportunity to, you know, what angles have we missed? What are are some other angles that are really, uh, uh, that you've found as you've been covering this issue?
1: Well, I wanna first go off of what Denise mentioned with with the international trade. And I know we brought up vaccinating as a possibility or have vaccines been created. And that's one thing actually with international trade when you vaccinate a bird and they test it, they don't necessarily know if it had the disease or if it was vaccinated. And that's one of the big reasons why we haven't seen vaccines trending in birds more than, they ha- than you might think that they should. So I wanted that to make sure that mm-hmm. was a noted thing in that because that not just this year, but other years, you're like, well, can you guess a strain maybe and do almost like with humans? having a flu shot, right. but it doesn't work that way as much. And I think Denise can probably elaborate more on that than I can. But mm-hmm. yeah.
2: that, That's very much the case. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has, after what happened last year in 2015 in you know, Iowa and Minnesota, those areas, they started stockpiling flu vaccine in case there was an opportunity to use it. Unfortunately, what they stockpiled were H5 uh, vaccines. So... Um, that wouldn't, you know, necessarily even be effective in this case, so that's not really an option. And beyond that, um, some sectors, we have, we have a lot of different sectors in the poultry industry. You know, we have ducks, we have eggs, we have turkey, we have broilers, which are the chickens that you would, you know, buy at the grocery store to fry up or, you know, get at the uh, uh, certain food service counter. And those are all different sectors, and they look at vaccine very differently because of how their product gets looked at on the international market. And the, one of the challenges we have is when you go test the birds to see if they are flu positive or not, the current tests we have can't necessarily differentiate between that's a vaccinated animal or that's an exposed animal. So it's likely that the, the, that bird is going to turn out look positive. Um, on its test. So then, you know, what do you do with that if you can't differentiate between vaccinated and exposed? So that just makes a real challenge if you get into the science of why vaccine just isn't as simple as just, oh, just do it.
0: Okay, I'll try to get back to Samantha before you have to go, but we have a phone call that's coming in from Ken, who's in Greene County in Salisbury. Ken? Hello? Hi, go ahead.
6: Okay, I have a couple of questions for your panel there. Number one, in this environmentally unfriendly state of Indiana, how can you people prove that there are not going to be pathogens released into the soil, water, and other places, regardless of your landfills and your composting, that are going to potentially affect other people? Secondly, there is a quite large uh, wild turkey uh Population in Greene County and I think throughout southern Indiana. How are these turkeys in any way going to be protected from this virus? And third, the uh, pits that these farmers use for dumping dead birds are often uh, ravaged by raccoons, opossums and vultures and can these people now start to or these animals birds now start to spread this virus to other populations
0: okay thank we're you, Bert. thank you thank right. you okay all right hold that hold that thought for a minute i want i want to go back to samantha cuz you really do have to leave is there any other anything else you want to add before we ask denise to address these questions
1: uh, I don't think so. I think pretty much, though, it's going to just be time now that I won't tell. And as after talking to people, you don't know when a positive test is going to show up. And if it does, then that's a problem. One thing I guess I can touch on that I think Denise will probably be able to, whenever she answers this question, also touch on is between the low pathogen and the high pathogen and how, normally those might be handled differently if there was only low pathogen found compared to the high. So it's just the fact of a high one being found was such a huge problem compared to low pathogens where that might be handled differently.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks. We'll, we'll let Denise add to that. But I wanted to let, to let you go. I know you have your own show to do. So we really appreciate your being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. All
0: right. Samantha Horton, a reporter with WNIN in Evansville. Thanks, Samantha. Uh, so, um, yeah, our, our questioner asked three questions. So, Denise, the first question had to do with, you know, how do you sort of guarantee or prove that these pathogens aren't getting out from landfills and, and whatnot?
1: Well,
2: first off, I want to – Ken ask some really good questions. And, and believe me, we've looked at all of these is issues that are um, – very important that we need to take in consideration. Um, first thing with the um, issue of the uh, pathogen in the environment, you got to keep in mind that these these h seven and other strains of flu viruses are in the environment because wild birds carry them. Um, they spread them amongst themselves, and um, we know wild birds they, they can be anywhere, and we've we've got all kinds of maps and can show you flight paths and those type of things. So um, so it's going to be hard to ever point to a location and say, you know, that was because of that farm or something like that, um, necessarily with these type of, of viruses, particularly the H7s that are found in migratory birds. But it, it, as far as the process here, the main thing is the, the poultry flocks, the, the hens that were put in the landfill, those were negative birds. They test, They were tested, and they tested free of the virus before they were disposed there. Had they tested positive, and we had to go through with that type of disposal method, the, the precautions and the extra um, steps that would have been taken in containing it and managing any leachate or any kind of water um, that would trickle through that, that part of the um, disposal area would have been managed much, much more highly. Um, we've worked with the Indiana Department of Environmental Management and our partners there have just done a yeoman's job of um, going and learning from Iowa and other states of what they've had to go through. Um, with a similar disease situation and making sure that we have every angle and possibility covered um, to ensure that you know environmental and public health is being respected and so um, they've they've been working with the landfills in indiana um, to make sure that they understand what the proper handling is so um, then also when it comes to composting again this is um, the method that all the turkeys are being handled by those piles of compost piles that are in the barns, so they're protected, we don't have that scavenging issue, um, they are being managed actively and turned, and their temperatures are checked every 14 days until the process is complete to make sure that the temperature is high enough and sustained high enough that it's going to kill the virus. So there shouldn't be any virus coming out in when that material is finally released and cleared. If at any point that temperature drops below the approved temperature, they back up the clock another 14 days and require that pile to sit and be managed even longer.
0: Okay. Um, he also mentioned the wild turkeys. Any, yes. How, how do you, is there anything you can do to, to I don't know, to mitigate the, the potential spread through the wild turkey flocks?
2: Uh, yeah, this is the, wild, the wild birds were very, very interested in what's going on there, and we are working with part of our surveillance plan, is working with the Indiana Department of Natural Resources and the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Services, and we'll be um, sampling, taking tests of birds, of all types of wild birds in that area um, around where we found this, this virus. And as far as protecting them, it's kind of hard to do because you got to keep in mind, like I've said a couple times before, mm-hmm. um, these viruses occur, they're, they're in the environment, and wild birds pass them around naturally. Um, they're... Um, they're, they congregate, and a lot of times, different species will congregate. Especially wild uh, waterfowl that migrate will all land on a particular pond or lake area, marshland, and they're they're swapping their stuff and um, trading these viruses around. So it's really hard to specifically protect a population like that. We don't have a mechanism to. Uh, vaccinate the wild turkeys, per se. Um, so, again, they're just in their natural habitat. They're subject to this just like they are a lot of other things that occur in the wild.
4: Why isn't it killing them like it kills these flocks at these commercial farms?
2: Well, you know what? Honestly, I, well, we don't know if they've been exposed, number one. Number two, again, we don't know a lot about the virus um, as well. And some of these viruses are really kind of strange because they will kill one type of, of poultry and not another or a bird and not another and some will just get sick and recover because their immune systems are different. Um, so the the biology there and the kinds the, of the biology with the virus, it just can make for a different combination and you'll end up with a different response.
0: And is it possible that it could have killed a flock somewhere that we just don't know about?
2: It's, and it's entirely possible. We just don't know. We do Um, we are working with Department of Natural Resources here in Indiana and encourage folks that if they see five or more feeder-type birds, so in other words, if they're not waterfowl, um, we know if if you go test waterfowl, you're going to find a flu virus um, pretty frequently. But if you get five or more um, feeder-type birds, to contact the Department of Natural Resources and report that because they would potentially be interested in going out and sampling those. And and this isn't something just for Du Bois County. This is statewide, um, anywhere, because we kind of want to track if there's any change in the health of that wild bird population. Mm
0: -hmm. We had a question come in on our uh, website that I think uh, we'll ask Luis first, and then then Denise, you could join in, too. But... uh, it's a, a localized question about you know, someone who has chickens in Monroe County laying chickens and says, can you address the concerns we have as those that raise chickens for personal use? So, what would you say when, if you were in Washington today, Luis, and one of your um, one of your neighbors called you with that question, what would you tell them?
3: Well, um, we're um, Purdue extension that we have offices on all 92 counties, so basically, if they have some type of questions about uh, how to raise poultry and that they can contact their local office and we can provide the information that we have available we we have a uh, as a land grant university we have uh, access to all the different type of land grant universities throughout the nation so we share information and if they need some some particular uh, we are able to access that information for them and and provide it as mm-hmm. a free cost okay all right. So Sarah, you were looking up some numbers about last year's,
0: uh, last year's issue, and kind of puts this in perspective, not to downplay what's going on in Indiana, but-
4: Last year's outbreak, it killed 50 million, right? But the economic-
0: 49 million,
4: 49 million were killed, and the economic impact, though, it said that the cost to the industry was $3 billion. Um, can, you, can you speculate at all what, how this outbreak might compare
3: well, like, like we mentioned before, given the the magnitude of the that has been localized on one area, is uh, as far as quantified. No one, no one had quantified that yet. Uh, I think more of the effort has been on trying to contain it uh, and control it. Uh, but uh, it's compared with what we have last year, I would say probably the economic impact is going to be very insignificant. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's still need to run more simulations and more to find for sure uh, that's what we have economies on camp that they, they look at those situations to try to get more information. But given these being uh, private companies, those, uh, that information will have to come from them exactly how they get impact. Mm-hmm. And I think Samantha touched on this a little bit because, and you see
0: it I'm sure in in uh, Davies County and and people see it. there's this ripple effect if one industry is being hurt there are other people that serve that industry and there that impact that economic impact just sort of ripples through the economy.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you have even through the same company you have uh, a feed mill operation so on, on that you're going to have your your farmers that sell grain to those facilities and that say for some reason you have a big drop on production then your your feed production is gonna drop so you don't need the amount of ingredients that that normally requires so that's gonna affect that at the same time you have uh, all these uh, biosecurity measures they've been taking uh throughout the the company themselves as feed delivery they need to address some of the issues that on biosecurity they need to uh, clean the equipment, disinfect it. Sometimes they need to take alternate routes compared to what they normally do that will maybe take them to a longer route. Well, that's going to be cost on fuel and, and, and time. Mm-hmm. So those, uh, there's different effects that you're going to have on, on mm-hmm. economic on, on those.
0: We have about two minutes to go, Denise, and I want to give you a chance to sort of wrap up the show about the, this unprecedented outbreak. And then also from your uh, position there with the Indiana Board of Animal Health, are there other issues that Hoosiers should be concerned about right now?
2: Well, th- this, one, this one's at the top of our list right now, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're really concerned. And um, however, we're, we're optimistic with the finding. We had the first case that was a high-pass H7N8. And then uh, we started testing in a circle around that, and we found those other nine that were, again, low-pass versions, which basically means they are less deadly to chickens and, and poultry. They will still make them ill, but it's not quite as virulent. Um, but we're, we're optimistic every day that we go by. We've had more tests submitted to the Purdue Diagnostic Lab um, every day, and every day we get through with a more negatives is more reason for optimism. But we still need to remind people locally that we've got a long way to go a lot more testing to do, and we've just got to make sure that we can get through a period of um, making sure all the poultry there is flue-free so that we can get our uh, this control area lifted and we can get back to normal business.
0: All right. I think we're out of time for today's program, so I want to thank our guest today, uh, Denise Durair. Thank you very much for joining us at Indiana Board of Animal Health. Uh, obviously, you're very busy these days. Also, Luis Santiago. Purdue Extension Educator in Davies County. He's based in Washington, Indiana. Thanks, Luis, for making the drive over. Thank you. And also Samantha Horton joined us for the first half of the program, or the first mm, probably 80% of the program from WNIN in Evansville. For producer J.D. Gray, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my co-host Sarah Whitmire, thanks for listening.